We started in Genesis chapter 4 last time, but I wanted to mention one other thing in Genesis chapter 3 that, that I had wanted to mention last time, but, but uh, uh, I forgot. And that is when the man and the woman, Adam and Eve, had fallen, God then pronounced the penalties upon first Satan, and then upon Eve, and then upon Adam. And the first thing it says that Adam did was in verse 20 of Genesis chapter 3. Now the man called his wife's name Eve Eve, because she was the mother of all the living. So he called her name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. The first time he named her, remember he named her Ishha, his name being Ishman, Ishha woman, he gave her a derivative of his, of his own name, but now he calls her life, which is like the most endearing name that you can give. And when I saw this, what struck me about this is when I go through a day and I feel particularly beat up because of the day. You know, some days you just get beat up, not physically, but just emotionally and just these things come at you and you just drained One of the most beautiful things that I look forward to is getting home and seeing my wife. And I'll just sit with her and I'll put my head on her shoulder and she says, you had a hard day. I said, yeah, I have. And I'll just tell her a little bit about it and I feel all better. I mean, it's just amazing. This guy had a rough day. I mean, he he brought sin upon the world. I mean, he he blew it really pretty bad. And he comes home and he says, you're the mother of all the living. He says, in you there is hope because God had proclaimed that through her the Messiah would be born. And just this endearing relationship was built up in the midst of the hardships of life. And I think back to the hardest times in life that I've gone through. And how much I have been blessed to have the wife that I have. To have the relationship with a wife. I'll tell you, I feel that the best invention ever is marriage. It is terrific. When you get this right, when it is going well, it is a beautiful thing. When it is not going well, it is terribly painful. And that's why you want to choose right in the beginning... So you want a lot of counsel around you and a lot of prayer in making that decision. And you want to develop it right. And that takes maintenance and takes work and it takes counseling and all sorts of things to get this thing right. I mean, you can't just say, well, we'll work it out. We'll just wing it. Well, do you feel that way about your car? That, you know, if it starts running bad, don't worry, I can handle it. How can you handle it? You, You don't even know... What's under the hood there? I used, to, I used to pump gas. I used to work on cars continuously when I was in high school. Worked first on mini bikes and then on cars. I always had my, my head under the, the hood of a car. I worked on everything, talk, took apart everything. I mean, from, from the head, which is where you take that off, you get the pistons and everything. Worked on, I don't know how to touch a car today. I look in there, I don't even know what's what. I don't know where the carburetor is. I don't know where the spark plugs are. Do they even have 
carburetors? I, I, I don't know. You know, it's all electronic ignition. I don't, I don't know anything about it today. Used to be you dropped something, you just went under the car and picked it up. You dropped something, it's gone forever under the hood of a car. And, and uh, so we don't even know how to fix our car. You think you, that, that you don't need help with your marriage? You get the thing right, it is a beautiful thing. And it brings you tremendous strength. All right, so let's look on down and we're going to go into Genesis chapter 4. We looked already at Cain and Abel, the birth of them last week. But let's read that again. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. And we talked about it last week. The actual words here, the actual words here is that I have gotten a man, Jehovah. I have gotten a man, Jehovah. That's the literal translation. Her theology was right. She thought she had given birth to the Messiah who was going to restore everything to the way it was previously. I've gotten a man, Jehovah. Jehovah being the personal name of God. But uh, um, uh, actually, it wasn't long before they saw Cain and they realized that she had not given birth to Jehovah to one who was going to be like him to bring restoration. And again, she gave birth to his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of the flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And, and Abel means vanity. I've given birth to vanity. By that time, they had given up. And that's what happens in life. You, you, they, they were going through life. And in fact, the rabbis read this, and they have several reasons why they say that she had given birth not to just these two guys, but to several other twin sisters along with these guys. And we will see later on in chapter, in chapter 5, it says, and they had other sons and daughters. So people say, well, how did Cain marry? Who did he marry? Well, it says that Adam and Eve, it, remember what her curse, what, what the curse upon her was? I, was I, it says, I'm going to multiply your pain in childbirth. But the actual rendering of that, if you look in Young's literal translation, multiplying, I will multiply, <clears throat> multiplying, I will multiply your conceptions. In other words, you're going to have a lot of children now. Because if they were going to live, if people were going to live for as long as it was originally intended, they didn't have to have as many children. But if you shorten the lifespan, you have to give them more offspring. That's why, for example, mice live two years. They have a lot of offspring. Things that live shorter times have, have more offspring. And, uh, <clears throat> and, and so the, the, there, were many, there were many sisters around here as well. And it, so it says, Cain was a keeper of the flock, uh, and, and Abel, I'm sorry, Abel was a keeper of the flock, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. We talked a little bit about this last time. Let me remind you that they knew about blood offerings. God was the first one to do it when he made clothes for them. And it certainly appears as if God dwelt, he had sent them out of the Garden of Eden to the east of it. And it was as if they met God at the Garden of Eden. They couldn't go back in, but they were still near the Garden of Eden. And it was as if they met God. They understood something about offerings. You say, well, how did they know? Because God was instructing them. There were grain offerings in Israel that came much later, but always a grain offering had a blood offering that preceded it. There was a sin offering of blood that preceded it. 
It also says in the course of time, Cain brought his offering. And in fact, it says in the literal translation, verse 3, and it cometh to pass at the end of the days that Cain bringeth from the fruit of the ground a present to Jehovah. At the end of the days. And then it says of Abel, on his part, he brought also the firstlings of the flock and of their fat portion. The firstlings. And that's what we see later on in Israel where the demand was you bring the first of your flock. Cain was bringing after the end. Let me give you a practical application of this. If you take of your paycheck and you pay all your bills and you look at what's left over and then from that you decide to give something to the Lord, that's doing the same sort of thing. That's doing it at the end. You take your paycheck right from the beginning and you take a portion and you set it aside for the Lord's work. That means you take it out of your hands and you give it away. So even when I was your age, when I was your age, I always got a, a, a summer job working in, in some laboratory in, in, in some industry. And, and uh, I would take that as soon as the paycheck would come and I'd give 10% to my local church. And then I'd save others, I'd take another portion and I'd set it aside for offerings for just doing good things for good for, for people. This is what I would do because I followed the pattern of the Word of God. And you say, well, tithe is actually from the Old Testament. It's not in the New Testament. And that is right. But if you want to see what they gave in the New Testament, they were giving everything. So, you know, take, take your choice. You know, what, what, would you, what would you like to do? A tithe is not a bad place to start. And I would feel like I'm robbing the church by not giving to my local church because in the church... Pastors minister to me. When my family is sick, they are there to pray for me. When I was in the hospital, they were there to pray for me. When my wife was in the hospital, they were there to pray for her. I know nothing about music. Nothing. My kids know much more than I do. And where they learn it? In the church. There were people that worked with them. People that surrounded them. They, they, they were in the Iwanas thing and all the things that happened in the church. I would have felt like I'm robbing the church. By partaking of it and not giving to it. You say, well, I'll, I'll give when I start getting a lot. You lie. You lie. If you do not give now, you will not give then. Because I know it. Because the more money you get, the harder it is to give. And you go, that can't be. That actually is. If you get $100, you can give 10 If you get If you get a million dollars, it's hard to give 100000 away. I'm just telling you. I've seen it. You, giving 10% is not a bad place to give. There's three reasons. We, we see three places in the New Testament. The New Testament often is like a commentary on the Old Testament, which is absolutely and precisely correct. And it speaks about Cain in three places in the New Testament. We don't know for sure that it was lack of a blood offering. We, can, we might presume that. But in the New Testament, it talks about his heart attitude was wrong. So the he brought his offering, but his heart attitude was wrong, as if he almost resented it. And it was the last of what he was bringing. As if, as if he almost resented the bringing of it. It is up to you. You can give or not give. I'm just telling you, if you give, you will be blessed. And I always gave. Even when I was a young assistant professor, I was making, making $32,000 was my salary. Starting assistant professor, I had two daughters at the time and a wife, and my wife stayed home with the kids. And we were having troubles making ends meet, and my daughter was, was young enough, she was going to Christian school at that time. But I always gave my tithe. 
And now, when I look back, I'll tell you, I make more than the vast majority of professors. From rice, I make more. But then on top of that, I have all these other things. God has blessed me so much. My students always had better cars than me. They always had better cars than me. And, and, uh, uh, but for years, for years, I went, I was at the University of South Carolina for 11 years. For, for nine of those years, I had no air conditioning. And it gets as hot as Houston over there. I had no air conditioner. My students all had air conditioning. But I lived a certain way. And God blessed. God blessed. Abel brought an offering. And it says, he brought the firstlings of the flock and the fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So they both brought offerings. For Abel, he had regard. How do we know he had regard? Well, there are many examples in the Old Testament where when God would accept an offering, fire would come down and consume it. We don't know exactly how God showed his approval of of Abel's offering and not Cain's. It says, but for Cain's offering, he had no regard. It never says God was angry, but he had no regard. So in other words, God toward Abel's offering was indifference. It wasn't coming with the right attitude. The offering was not coming with the right attitude, so God was indifferent to it. It's not that the offering was evil in itself. It doesn't say God was angry. It says God had no regard. He had no regard for it. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. God wasn't angry. Cain became angry. God's not angry in this. Just as he was indifferent to the offering. Because it wasn't coming with the right attitude. It wasn't the firstlings of the flock. It wasn't from the portion that counts. Remember the widow's mite. She gave. And, and it was just a very small amount, like a penny. And he, Jesus, is watching her give it. Jesus, remember, the Son of God, God Himself come in the flesh, is watching what people are putting in. He's saying, we shouldn't watch. Well, God can watch, all right? This is His business because He's working on the hearts of people. He's watching. And what Jesus says is, she gave more than the rest of them. All the rest of those rich people that were like, and putting their money in. She gave more. Because she gave out of her sustenance, out of everything she had. They were giving out of their surplus. You give out of your sustenance. My parents sent me money every month when I was in college. It was very nice of them. I'm very thankful. My parents put me through college. They'd send me money every month. I would take 10% of that and give it to my local church. You said, well, you didn't work for that. That was money that I was getting. It was all I was getting. I was giving 10% of that to my local church. I just did it. I got in the habit of doing it so that when I started making more money, it is like clockwork. I mean, I know exactly what to do. It says that God had no regard for Cain's offering, but Cain became angry and his countenance fell because God had regard for his brothers. He became angry and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Clock's ticking. No answer. Cain never responds to him. He says, so then he says to him, and why is your countenance fallen? 
No answer. Do you see what God's doing? He's not there to clobber the guy. He's trying to draw him out. What do you say to a child when they do something? Why did you do that? It's a very normal response when you're trying to make this a teaching moment. Why are you angry? Analyze this. You go to a psychologist. This is exactly what they'll do. Tell me, why is it that you're angry? And then they draw that out of you. Well, I'm angry because he did it. And why does that bother you? And you know, they, little by little, they, this is what God's doing. God's very gracious. This guy is a guy who brought just the surplus stuff with the wrong attitude, but God's trying to love him. God's saying, why are you angry? So that Cain himself can start thinking about this. Maybe God, maybe Cain is thinking, how does he know I'm angry? I didn't say I'm angry. How should he know? He said, okay. Well, why has your countenance fallen? Hmm? <laughs> because your countenance, I can see. That I can certainly see. Why has your countenance fallen? He still doesn't answer. Then he says this. He says, if you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Now that's kind of a weird thing. I mean, what does he mean by that? If you look back at the, transla- at the direct translation of this, the latter half has a very different sort of meaning. And so in verse 7 it says, Is there not, if thou dost well, acceptance? So that part is right. If you do it well, if you do it properly with the right attitude, you will be accepted. i got nothing against you. He says this, but here's the, the wording for, for the second part. And if thou dost not well, at the opening a sin offering is crouching, and unto thee its desire and thou rulest over it. In other words, if you don't do well, a sin offering is there. These guys knew about sin offerings. That's the exact translation, the same thing that's used of Israel in sin offerings. If you don't do well, there's a sin offering that you can offer up and make it well. Its desire is there, and unto thee its desire. It's sitting there ready for you, And it's within your power to do it. You rule over it. It's right there. When we get together for the Lord's Supper, what do I tell you? I say, use this time to say, God, search my heart. Is there something wicked in me that I need to confess to you? Because God wants this. This is your sin offering. You're offering this up to the Lord. Lord, is there something in my heart? that I need to deal with. Because what happens is, it separates us from God. God's there all the time. We're the ones who are wandering off. And if we don't deal with it, things get much, much harder if we don't deal with it. If we don't deal with it, there's all these things that start to hit us if we don't deal with it. But Cain would not accept the opportunity to say, yeah, Let me take of that sin offering. Make a sin offering. He rejected it. God, in His gracious way, is saying, accept this. So what does Cain do instead? Cain told his brother, Cain told Abel his brother. Now we don't know what Cain told Abel. 
Maybe Cain told Abel, I'm upset with God. Oh, you know. Or maybe Cain told Abel, let's go out into the field together. We don't know, but he said something to Abel. And it came about when they were in the field, so they were in the field together. Maybe he told them, let's go out to the field. That Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. He rose up and he killed him. As if his brother was down, leaning down, doing something. He rose up, he's over his brother, and he strikes him. This was premeditated, and he killed his brother. And the New Testament says, he killed his brother because his, his deeds were evil. And the other reason why he didn't, why his, his offering wasn't accepted, it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, because he didn't offer it up with faith. There was no faith in it. There's no faith that God was going to do anything with this. There was no belief for us, say, if we give money that, that God has called me to share. We have to have faith that he's going to bless us. So he ends up killing his brother. If we do not respond to the love of God, if we do not respond, we start moving away from him and it gets worse and worse. You say, well, not everybody kills people. That's right. But it ends up in more dastardly things. I'll give you some examples. As, as a youth, I was talking about my testimony. I share this all the time in my testimony. All the time with everybody. I share this every week. So it's no secret. I was addicted to pornography pornography from the age of 14. Worked in a gas station. Men would throw away their magazines on the, on the highway there. And I became addicted at the age of 14. The age of 18, when, it was, when I was confronted with my sin through reading the script, through a scripture that, that a person was showing me, I was not a believer. And uh, 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 Jesus said, if you look upon a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery with her already in your heart. And that really convicted me. And it was through that verse that I realized I was a sinner. And I ended up accepting the Lord in my heart. And God delivered me from pornography. And He doesn't deliver everybody from their sins, from, from, from struggles like that instantly. But He used that sin to show me my, my, He used that, that text to show me my sin. And He used the, the, the victory over it to show me His power. But if you don't deal with these things, and repent of them and say, Lord God, forgive me because I'm a sinner. And wrestle with these things. They will end up moving and encroaching deeper upon your life. So the example is this. If people don't deal, if young men do not deal with pornography, they bring it into their marriages. You think, well, when I'm in marriage, I won't need it then. I get it. Let me tell you, it doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. Because that one woman that you have in marriage does not fulfill all your needs. And you bring it into the marriage and it will start causing real problems in the marriage. And I've had many young women come to me and tell me about what their husbands do with pornography within their marriage. And it is devastating them. And then if you don't deal with that, then you'll end up sleeping with other women. Does it really progress like that? All the time. That's why you have to deal with it all the time, all the time. The Bible addresses sin, morality, moral issues. We have to deal with them. We need to deal with them. This is what happened to Cain. It says in verse, in, 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 uh, um, in verse 9, Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? 
Oh, so God didn't know. I lost Abel. No, what is he doing? He's allowing this man a chance to say, Lord, forgive me. I killed my brother. He didn't just come running back to the Lord. So the Lord goes to him and says, Where is Abel? Your brother. This is your brother. Where is he? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? That's the first human lie recorded in the Bible. I do not know. He lied to God. And then you show, you see his disdain for God inserting himself into Cain's life. Am I my brother's keeper? Well, uh, yeah. He is your little brother. When we show disdain for God's word, it causes us to move further and further away from God. When we don't have a soft heart toward His Word, when His Word is read, that it hits our hearts. Say, Lord, forgive me because I am a sinner. Lord, soften my heart because I am a sinner. This is what the Word of God is supposed to do. And if it does not do that to you, beat your breast and say, Lord, forgive me. Soften my heart. As the Scriptures say, take out my heart of stone and give me a proper heart of flesh. That sin would impact my life. He's confronted with his sin. Now God says, you have disdain for my word. Now God turns. And he becomes the prosecutor. He said, what have you done? Now he confronts him very differently. What have you done? Even in this, there is no answer. So he says, the voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. It says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, it also says, and though Abel is dead, although he is dead, he still speaks. The dead speak to God. The dead speak to God. You say, that, that's, that's kind of creepy. How can that be? Well, that's what the scriptures say. The dead speak to God. And in fact, there's a, there's a whole portion of this of, of, of this happening um, in, in the book of Revelation. It talks about how there's, there's a whole group of people that are there. It says in, in, uh, in Revelation chapter 6, verse 9, When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. The dead speak. Maybe not to you, but to God. The dead speak. The dead speak. And that's why he said to them, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. I want to look at a few other portions. I want to look at a few other portions that, that 
that sort of get at our heart in this. So, for example, in, in, in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 29, the Word of God is full of warnings. He says, So is the one who goes into his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her will not go unpunished. If you touch your neighbor's wife, you will not go unpunished. Let me tell you something. Men have all sorts of attractions. But if you follow through on those attractions with that woman, you are in big trouble with God. The attractions I can't... You know, these people get attracted. If you touch the other woman, though, you will not go unpunished, God says. I don't want to wake up in the morning and know God is against me. That's got to be a miserable feeling. He says you will not go unpunished. God's Word cannot fail. It has to happen because God said it. It has to happen. It's not like, well, it's not going to happen to me. Just, oh, it'll happen. Heaven and earth will split apart at the proclamation of God's Word. This earth will be destroyed totally forever rather than to have one Word of God dropped and not fulfilled. That's what will happen. But it's not just that, because many people will, will dismiss that. Many people will dismiss that, and they'll say, well, um, you know, I'm not married anyway, so that, that, that doesn't really, really have anything to do with me. Let's look in, 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 in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm going to be reading from verse 9. This would be a good place to turn. You might want to mark that. You might want to highlight that. Bookmark that. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, reading from verse 9. Now, I'm just reading the Word of God. I have no authority in myself to say or do anything. I am just reading the Word. If this portion bothers you, what you can do is you can tear that page out of your Bible and throw it away and see where that gets you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, nor the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Whoa. That's what it says. That's what it says. The sexually immoral. If you read the King James, it'll talk about fornicators. If you're living with someone and having sex with them, you really want to question this. And I'm telling you, get out of that relationship. You say, well, we'll probably end up getting married. Well, then wait for when you get married or you will bring that same tendency of immorality into your marriage with you. Because what happens is you break moral standards before marriage it becomes easier to break them while in marriage, and then the fornication turns into adultery. And the one with whom you are having sex knows that you are a cheater, you are doing this when you say that you are a believer, and so they will not trust you once you get into marriage. And it says, the sexually immoral idolaters, adulterers, and men who have sex with men... Thieves, greedy, <clears throat> drunkards, slanderers, swindlers, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Many times I share the gospel with people. 
And they are this close to coming to God. But they cannot come because they're living with somebody of the opposite sex and they don't want to let that go. Or men are doing some corrupt activity of work at work and they, their hearts will not let that go. And they end up not coming to the Lord. And I don't care what the current society says is okay. The Word of God remains forever. The desires I cannot change. I have heterosexual desires. I've had them my whole life. Before I was married, after marriage, you think the desires for women go away once I have my own wife? Everything's 100% on her and I'm oblivious to all other women? You think that happens? That doesn't happen. But I'm committed now to one woman. And God is watching. God sees it. And before I was married, as a believer, you think I had no attractions? You say, well, at least heterosexuals can at some point fulfill their, their, their sexual desires because they can marry. Oh, really? I know a lot of heterosexuals who have not been able to marry for one reason or another. Sometimes they're, they just have not been able to find a spouse. Wonderful people. Other times they're too ugly. They can't find a spouse. It happens. Or other times they're, they're, they, they, they have some problem where they've been injured. And in my generation, there were a lot of men that were injured from the Vietnam War because they had these little, little munitions that you'd step on and they'd pop up to waist high and blow up just to cause fear in men. There were a lot of men like that and they couldn't marry. You think their desires went away? Didn't go away. It's not a question of my desire. That I can't change. I can't change that I'm a heterosexual. But what I had to do was bring it under conformity to Jesus Christ and His Word. It says, and such, <clears throat> verse 11, <clears throat> and that is what some of you were, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And then we're going to skip down to, to verse, um, verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. You flee from it. Some people say, I, I just can't stop. I, I had this guy, he was living with this girl. This girl knew it was wrong. She moved out of the relationship. And he says, I, I just need it. You don't know what I'm, I'm struggling. And I talk with him, reason with him. I'm just struggling. I just need this. I just need it. I said, you're crazy. I deal with people on the mission field who are trying to stay alive preaching the word of God in Lebanon and in Pakistan. And here you are so consumed with yourself and your own physical desire, I had to question whether he was even saved. Because the Bible says you're no longer a slave to sin. There is power over sin. But you have to flee from sexual immorality. In other words, you don't go over her home. Don't go there because you're going to end up in bed together. You don't go there. My office door is never shut when there's a woman in my office who's not my wife. And I have cameras in my office. With doors, the door says there's cameras in here. Why do I do that? To protect myself. I don't want to come walking out of an office after having spent an hour in there with some young girl and we come out giggling and people, well, what are they doing in there? No, I just happened to tell her a joke. No, the door is staying open. 
All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are not your own. You were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your bodies. It is so easy for us to look at Cain, say that guy had a problem. And the Word of God does not do that to us just to focus in on Cain. The Word of God is a mirror to bring it right back to me. Lord, where is it in my life? If I show disdain for God's Word, I will be wandering away from God and it will get worse and worse and worse. And I say this because I love you. If I did not care, I wouldn't bother with this. I would just tell you how much Jesus loves you. The baby Jesus came for you. And it's all about you. I say this because I love you. And I get not a penny to say this. I don't get paid for this activity. I say this because I care about your lives. And you know it. Follow the word of God. Let it speak into your life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for these young people. In the name of Jesus, I thank you so much for them. I pray, Lord, that they would honor you and honor your word and love your word and that they would not go the way of Cain to reject you when you are speaking, to become angry with you when you speak to them. Lord, that they would not go that way of Cain. Father, protect them from that, I pray. Father, I pray that they would remain tender toward your word. And that if they need to, call upon that sin offering by repenting and saying, Lord, forgive me for what I am in. And that they would flee sexual immorality. They would run from it to keep themselves from those situations. Lest it destroy their marriages. Lord, I want them so much to understand what a good and healthy marriage is like. What it is to have a person upon whom they can place their head and say, I just want to tell you what happened to me this day. Lord, I pray that they would have good and healthy and strong marriages. And that they would be able to have children that they could raise for the Lord rather than destruction that would come by showing disdain for your word. Have mercy on them, I pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.